Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminal, we just don't give a shit. Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by us, your bartenders. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. And welcome back to part two of the Yorkshire Ripper. We finally made it. Sorry guys about the delay. Um, <laughs> yeah, life got a little cray cray for a second. And then the weather got great. And then the weather got great, great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we've decided, um, just you know, just with life and jobs and everything like that, we're going to be doing our episodes staggered now. So instead of every Thursday, we decided we're going to go ahead and release a new episode every other Thursday. That way, we can put a little bit more effort into it. And I'm not like up until three in the morning trying to edit it real quick before we drop it and just everything like that. So. Yeah. It'll be better. In between, we'll be in between. We'll be working on our Patreon shows. Yeah, though, so it's a single shot. So just our single shots. Patrons will get a little so extra more time. Yeah. yeah so um, if you want us every week, yeah, um, be a patron. Be a be a true crime drunkie with us. Which we are gonna have a new episode for our patrons next week. I think we're gonna talk about some recent cases we've been keeping an eye out on. So yeah. If you want to yeah, listen to that, be sure to be sign up. Uh, yeah, and then sorry about being a delay. Normally, I like to release these on Thursdays, but the power has been going out at my apartment, so hopefully we can make it through this recording. Um, if you hear thunder, hail, lightning, anything in the background, this is 2021, y'all. <laughs> it's just what's going on, so here we you are. You haven't seen 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally just telling Katie a second ago about how I was driving and some sailboat, like, I don't know, like the wind and the waves and everything like pushed it like crazy. And it, I guess it somehow went way up on shore. Like it was headed for the parking lot of the beach, like hotel. And I was just like, I've never seen a sailboat be up that high before. (laughs) I wish I had, like, witnessed it happening. No, I wish I, I didn't see it happen. Like, I saw what it looked like after, and they had it all taped off yeah. with yellow tape and everything like that. But uh, that would be some crazy shit, just me doing my beach walk and just see that thing <laughs> coming straight for you. That's crazy. They're all on your left. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Gosh. Land ho! <laughs> oh, my it would have been so much better if it was a bunch of pirates. That would have just made everything better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Pirates uh, always should, make everything pirates better. Pirates are awesome. We should do an episode on pirates. Uh, um, yeah, it is a crime. It we is a crime. <laughs> Piracy is a crime. Even though, yep. I don't know. I could totally cool be a pirate. <laughs> so when we left off last time, which was two weeks ago, uh, Peter Sutcliffe had just committed his murder of 16-year-old Jane McDonald. 
And the police at the time were still bumbling around because they really read the room wrong. And now Peter Sutcliffe is continuing his reign of terror. Before we dive in too deep into the next murders, let's go ahead and get a drink ready. So this week, this might be a little bit of crude humor. I don't know. But we're calling this cocktail (laughs) a screw and a hammer. And it's a little bit of a twist on this classic drink, the screwdriver. So, which if you know anything, that's one of Peter Sutcliffe's weapons of choice. So, yeah. anyways, that's going to be one ounce of vodka, one ounce of gin. You're going to pour it in a glass that's already filled with ice. You're going to add three ounces of OJ, and then you're going to touch it off with a splash of Prosecco. That could be a little splash, a big splash, a whole bottle splash. It's really up to you. And if you want to be fancy and garnish it, go ahead and put an orange slice in a cherry. And expect a headache the next day, but it's pretty bomb. So, cheers! <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, I like, it's like a, a very adult mimosa. Yeah, it's like a mimosa screwdriver, I don't know. Headache. <laughs> Late to work the next day. <laughs> or just not at all. <laughs> yeah. If you want to find the recipe for this, be sure to check out our Instagram at Crimes and Cocktails. And you can also check out our Patreon, which is also patreon.com, Craigs and Cocktails. And like we said, we're going to have a new episode for our um, level, our double shot and our triple shot patrons next week, actually. So, yeah, check that out. Tabitha, Tabitha's new sticker design just came in as whoop, well. Whoop. So our, our patrons have been getting those in. Um, we ta- somebody tagged us in one last week. We'd love to see it. Yeah, that, tag us. And made it. Um, also, and our then, giveaway winner tagged us, and it was so cool seeing everything yeah. out. Yeah, like so it. keep an eye. If you didn't see what our giveaway was before, uh, that's shared on our story now, so you can see what, what they won, and we're going to be doing another one soon. So um, keep your heads up for something good. All right, so now we're going to jump back into the murders, because that's what... What you guys are here for. So <laughs> last week, uh, Sutcliffe had a pretty routine way of murdering people. He finds a woman alone at night, plunges them, sometimes stabs them multiple times, stages their bodies, and scatters their belongings. Uh, we're going to see this continue this week. We aren't going to go into a lot of detail on every single murder because it's a lot to cover. And well, we, <laughs> we might. Can't do- I don't know. Well, <laughs> we might. We might not. We'll see. Um, but... Uh, to set the stage for where we are now, Sutcliffe and his wife had just moved into a new home. Sutcliffe discovers a new hammer there that was left behind by the last, you know, person who owned it's the house. It's a sign. Oh, and he's all, ooh, perfect. Decides <laughs> to bring that on his next murders. Um, these murders are huge news. Everywhere has articles about him. He's receiving a lot of press, even in the United States. Uh, the police are setting up stations at malls so people can hear what they think his voice is and his writing. Um, and, you know, publishing this in newspapers. So they're like, you know, do you know what recognizes this writing? Do you recognize this voice? That's yeah. a torture ripper. And it's so but, interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, you're when good. I was watching the Netflix documentary, I didn't even really think about this because they, so there was a guy who called and, and claimed to be the Yorkshire Ripper mm-hmm. and they had the recording of the voice and they were playing it like on loudspeakers in like malls and parking lots. So weird to think about. I know. And they're saying like, if you recognize this and... It's one thing to say, like, recognize that voice, but 
um, they were asking if you recognize the accent. And it was weird that to yeah. me as an American where people, they're like, oh, that sounds like a Yorkshire or that sounds like, a, you know, they were naming all these different parts or little villages and stuff like that in Great Britain mm-hmm. that they thought of. And I guess in America we have more, we're so large that our accents are um, more stretched out. So it's like we have our Southern accent, right? Or yeah. our Boston accent, our New York accent. But if someone were to tell me in the state of California this accent, where do you think it comes from? I, I don't know if I I'd be like, totally are they saying hella or hecka? Yeah. I can know. <laughs> like hella, hecka, or, or not at all. <laughs> but I wouldn't be able to, like, pinpoint it. I don't know. No, Just, no, either would I. It's kind of weird to think of that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So they later discovered that this was actually all a hoax. So a guy named John Humble um, was the one calling and writing in had nothing to do with Peter Sutcliffe. He was, like, drunk and doing this because he thought it was funny. Um, or, you know, whatever drunk people <laughs> think that is. Um, and, you know, the actual Jack the Ripper was writing in letters. So I guess this guy was like, oh, let's do that because they call him Yorkshire Ripper. But um, he later served time uh, for doing this because, you know, it was throwing the police off. They're putting totally. so much money into pursuing these clues. So... He- I think he was in jail for like nine years. Oh my gosh, that's a long time. He totally deserved it. He did. Um, That's really fucked up. Yeah, I think he actually took pieces from Jack the Ripper letters and put them in his letters. And they eventually realized that's what was happening. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think Peter Sutcliffe is like really that intelligent to do a whole fucking Zodiac kind of shit. No, no, I don't think so either. Um, He's too busy getting his hair. Busy trimming his weird mustache. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, getting it down to the centimeter. Yeah, the millimeter by millimeter. Doing. So we'll go yeah. ahead and start here with. Um, I, I'm not gonna say his first victim, but the first victim for this episode. Which, okay. So what is this? Is this victim number seven? I want to say. Um, uh, somewhere around there. Six or seven. Yeah. yeah. Six, I so, think it's six. This is where they, like we said, they start to get a little bit more violent. I mean, they're all violent, but yeah. Yeah. So this is, Jean Jordan was 20 years old when Peter Sutcliffe murdered her on October 1st in 1977 in Hulme. Hulme? Am I saying that right? Hulme? It's the inner city of Manchester. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, She was a mother of two young boys and lived with her boyfriend, Alan Royal, who was an alcoholic. To help make ends meet, Jean was a sex worker and called, she was called Scotch Jean, because I guess she was from Scotland. That was her, her pit name, prostitute name. Creative. Yeah, creative. <laughs> I have no idea what my, my pit name would be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> be like if they called you Selena's tabs. <laughs> what it's Yeah, no, like. that just sounds terrible. <laughs> Your your name would be T T Sex. We all know it. T Sex. <laughs> T Sex. T Sex. The T Rex. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, I have an obsession oh, so with dumb. dinosaurs, not in a sexual way, though. Let me clarify that. But I love T Rex stuff. I have a little T Rex tattoo. Um, people always get me like T Rex T-shirts of that. I love it. I'm here for it. You can totally send me T Rex stuff. But remember, it's not a sexual thing. It's just I think they're cute. So let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. We'll move on from there. 
Yeah. Uh, if I were an animal, I'd be a T-Rex. No, <laughs> Um, oh so anyways, on the night of October 1st, uh, well, oh, okay. so her name was Scotch Jean. I almost said T-Rex. Her name was Scotch Jean. And that's what the other sex workers, her co-workers, I guess you could call them, called her. And apparently she was known to hate the work. Like she was like, I'm just doing this just to pay bills. I hate what I'm doing. On the night of October 1st, Alan went out with friends, leaving Jean alone with the sleeping boys. When he returned later, Jean was gone, and he assumed that she had either gone out with friends or went to Scotland last minute, as it was something she had done in the past. Which is, like, so weird to think of, like... Not telling anybody in your Yeah, family. maybe she just Somewhere left else. the country and left our two young boys sleeping here alone. Like, I, I don't know, that just seems really weird When to I me. was reading, I mean, when I was writing this, I think from their location to Scotland, it was only, like, six hours, seven hours, something like, like you know, Still from weird. here to... Southern California, but I like, I wouldn't even leave my dog for that long. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, uh, it's still kind of weird to me. (laughs) But, um, yeah, she was missing. They didn't find her till nine days later. So on October 10th, a dairy worker went to work on his allotment by the Southern Cemetery. An allotment is a small parcel of land rented out for gardening, so especially like in cities where they mainly don't where not everyone has like their own yard or something like that they would rent like a little piece like this we see this in like bigger cities here too um he thought what he saw at first was a mannequin by a shed and he went over to it and realized it was actually a body from the smell um he was very sure that the body had not been there the previous day though because he'd been working on his garden the day before too the police were called and found Jean had been hit in the face and skull 11 times by a hammer, and she was naked with her clothes scattered nearby. It was determined that she had been murdered by the hammer and hidden in a hedge and then several days later moved into the open, undressed, and stabbed eight times, and Sutcliffe had attempted to decapitate her. The stab wounds had only happened hours before she was discovered. A five-pound note was found in the compartment of her purse, and the police came up with a theory that her killer had come to return to look for the five-pound note and had been able, he was unable to find it, so he threw the purse in a rage um, and and probably put the body out to be found or something like that. So the reason why they came up with this theory is because the notes, uh, money at the time would be printed. It was a brand new note. So it was printed and it went straight from the bank to the employment, um, and the employment, wherever it was, they would distribute that or disperse that to their employees. So it was a direct way to find or put a trail on someone. And this is actually what Peter was doing. He realized he had left that five. He, you know, when he, when he um, hired her to do some work, he had given her the note. And I don't know. I don't even know why he did that. I guess just to like play on the role. And then when he got her alone, he murdered her. And then he left. Yeah, I think he would give them the five pound note and then lure them away. And then he would take it back after he yeah. killed them. But she had like slipped it in her purse into a pocket. He couldn't figure out. And yeah, then probably something that's what happened. It was. Somebody walked by and then. He was trying to get away, and then he returned to find it and couldn't. So. And couldn't find it, and then decided to, like, move her body, I think, to be more exposed and yeah, so that laid out. Yeah, so people would 
Yeah. Did you think she was inside, like, the little garden shed, and then he had pulled her out of it? Mm, yeah. And then... Yeah, because I don't think he had realized that her purse had been thrown out, too. Like, mm-hmm. he was just searching her body and her jacket and stuff when he um, went back to her. Yeah. Uh, that note was tracked down to the Shipley area and had been from the Midland Bank and a part of a pay packet that could be narrowed down to 34 thir- uh, firms. One of which was Clark's, which was the business that Peter Sutcliffe drove for it. Remember, at this time, he was a truck driver. However, it's not as small of a, or as narrow of a pipe as you would think. 6,000 people were interviewed uh, for, for this note, and some of them were interviewed twice. Actually, Peter, I believe, was interviewed during this time, but... Like, if you guys remember, we said all these notes are kept in boxes and on paper. They're not in a computer system where they can easily access previous notes. And they didn't suspect anything from him at the time. Uh, Jean was buried. Yeah, even... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, even though it was <laughs> narrowed down to 34 um, companies, that's still, like, you know, so 6,000 people. That's yeah. A lot of people to try it's to a pick lot one of person people. out of. And then to interview them, and they're different police interviewing them. Yeah. And they're just not coming up with wires connecting. And she was buried, Jean was buried on what would have been her 21st birthday, which is so sad to, to pass so young. Yeah, a lot of these these girls, I mean, when you read about their lives, and, you know, they have kids, or they have boyfriends, or they've been working on the streets for a long time, it's, so I forget how young they are, um, yeah, a they're like teenagers, basically. Yeah. Uh, gosh. I barely remember when I was 21. <laughs> that was the alcohol. <laughs> my liver remembers. That was remembers. the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, my, my liver will remember and um, maintain the stars of being 21. <laughs> my liver my remembers what my mind forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so next is Yvonne Pearson. She was a 22-year-old mother of two girls working as a prostitute when her boyfriend became unemployed and then just left. So, um, you know, similar to Jean, and Yvonne had actually been very good friends with Tina Atkinson, which was one of Sutcliffe's earlier murders. They worked together, like, probably the same area. I'm not quite sure how they knew each other, but they were, they were good friends, and Yvonne had been, like, really affected by her death. So Sutcliffe picked her up on January 21st, 1978, on his way home from helping his parents move into a new, new home in Bingley. So he took Yvonne to a dumping area behind Drummond's Mill, which if you guys remembered from before, that's where his father actually worked and where he had, I think, worked in the past before. So she got out of the car and he started to hit her with a hammer immediately. Another car started to drive up, but instead of like leaving her and running off like he had done in the past so that she would survive, he actually like dragged her real quick and shoved her on this like old sofa that had been put out there and then started stuffing like the stuffing from the sofa into her mouth. So that she would stop, like, making noises. Because she was, like, she'd just been hit with a hammer. She was, like, you know, yeah. groaning or whatever. And then he pinched her nose so that he would, like, suffocate her. Ugh. The car finally left. And then he starts to kick her head and her body. And he jumps up on the sofa and on top of her and jumps down on her chest, which crushes her. Oh, my God. So he, he then covered her body with the sofa, like, tipping it over. And she was reported pretty quickly because she was not known to leave her children for long. She had left him with a babysitter, and her babies, their babysitter was just like, 
this is not like her at all. Um, but she wasn't found until two months later, on March 26th, when a kid saw her hand sticking out from under the couch. So a newspaper from February 21st had been stuffed underneath her hand. So that told police that the murderer, you know, Sutcliffe, had come back to visit the body and then had purposely pulled her hand out from under the sofa so that she could be discovered. Um, from her location behind the mill, it was a dumping ground. Not a lot of people were going back there. So he went back yeah. there and one left the newspaper to say like, see, you guys haven't found her and I've been back and you guys still didn't catch me. And then, you know, pulling her hand out so she could be discovered. Probably masturbating on her too, I bet. Probably. Yeah, which is another thing I don't think we've mentioned, but he masturbated on, like, every single one of his victims after he killed them. Yeah, I think we've mentioned it specifically on a couple, but just so you guys know, it's, like, every single one. Yeah, but DNA's, like, not a thing, so, yeah. Yeah, they're just able to, like we talked in the last episode, narrow it down to being in the B-blood group and a non-secreter, but that's it. So so gross. You say I don't. I don't like. That. I do not the like the word non-secretion. It's so gross. It's, <laughs> it's so. Gross it reminds me. me of like a nasty slug. Like yeah, yeah. That's like what, I what think it leaves of. behind, Secretion. or something coming out of pores and just being. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I need more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, but I think Blech. this is the first time that he's like jumped on somebody to crush them yeah or even tried the suffocating thing <sighs> yeah yeah they know yeah. they found her they knew that he had stuffed her her mouth with the uh one from talking to him but then also in her throat they had found bits of this inside of the sofa she's like inhaling that oh, so mm-hmm. gross so gross yeah. um so our next victim is helen ritka or ritka is either ritka or ritka i think it's ritka i think it's ritka yeah. Uh, she was murdered 10 days after Yvonne on January 31st, 1978, at the age of 18. She, along with her twin sister Rita, worked as prostitutes in Huddersfield, which is in West Yorkshire. The girls had come up with a system to only work together, one only leaving the other if they could see who the other was leaving with. On the night she was murdered, Helen returned back to the meeting spot before Rita and Peter Sutcliffe spotted her. He convinced her to get into his car, and when she was going to the back seat, he struck her with a hammer. After realizing he was in sight of two taxi drivers, he grabbed her by the hair and dragged her out of sight to a wood yard where he proceeded to rape her. He hit her with the hammer several more times and stabbed her through the heart and lungs before hiding her in a wood pile. Sutcliffe went home after the murder, put the knife he used to kill Helen back in his kitchen drawer so that his wife could use trotters for dinner later or whatever. That grossed me out so much that he put the knife back in the drawer. And I just just imagine. Done with that. So so just nonchalant. Sonia, Sonia like sees something on it and she's like. Told you to fucking double check it before you put it in the drawer from the dishwasher. No. <laughs> like, it's just like uh, talk about hiding in plain sight, though. Like, yeah, having the murder weapon as just part of your normal cutlery like that. Yeah, so, or even just you know the hammers are just so normal too. Yeah, um, everybody has a hammer. Well, it's, just, it's disgusting. When Rita returned, she waited for Helen, but Helen did not show up, so she went home. She was scared that they would get in trouble if they called the police because. 
they were prostitutes, and especially because Helen had already received a warning for prostitution, but, but after three days, she reported her sister missing and told the police where she had last seen her. Police went to the scene with a dog on February 3rd, and it was not long before they found Helen in the woodpile. Yeah, that's sad. They're 18. 18. And, uh, you know, they had a system set up even to yeah. um, protect each other. I mean, it's, it's just not a safe um, job to begin with, though, no. you know? Like, even no. if you think you're taking yeah. precautions, it's it's just not... It's not safe. Yeah, there's a lot of psychos out there. Um, even now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So three and a half months after Helen Ritka, 40-year-old Vera Millward was murdered on May 16th, May 16th, 1978. After the relationship with the father of her first five children broke down, she um, she became a sex worker. But she stopped by the time of her murder, except for a sing- one client, um who paid her every Tuesday for company and not sex because she was having some some health problems. So her boyfriend, Cy, which was the father of her last two children, so she had seven children and all. Oh my uh, gosh. Um, <laughs> confirmed, yeah. I, <laughs> this poor woman. Um, she, he confirmed that Vera had been in poor health recently and she had major operations to help her with chronic, chronic stomach pain and to remove one of her lungs. Um, that's what seven children will do to you. <laughs> but... Um, so she wasn't actively working as a prostitute at this point. Anyway, so May 16th, 1978 was a Tuesday. So Vera was waiting for her regular client, but he actually never showed up. And um, a man walking with his son around 11.15 that night heard screaming and someone calling for help near the Manchester Royal Infirmary, which is a fancy way of saying a hospital. <laughs> and um, Bloody it was British. about two months. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so... Um, the hospital was about two miles from Vera's house, and um, anyway, this guy with his son didn't hear anything else. He assumed the screaming was somebody in the hospital, like, I don't know, because they were in pain or something like that. But Vera was found the next morning by some gardeners who worked at the hospital. She was lying face down on her right side with her shoes pulled off and placed on top of her. A piece of paper covered her head, and her coat had been taken off and thrown over her body. She had been hit on the head with a hammer three times and had a large wound on her stomach, which exposed her intestines. Uh, Multiple cuts and bruises on her body show that she had been dragged over the gravel. Tire marks on the gravel matched other tire marks that had been found at the site of Irene Richardson's murder, and police were able to narrow them down to belonging to a Ford Corsair. Um, Which, if we haven't mentioned at this point, (laughs) a Ford Corsair is what Sutcliffe um, was driving. Yeah, uh, which so, I kind of remember the name of the other car that they had originally thought the tires matched to. And when they interviewed Peter Sutcliffe, they're like, oh, yeah, they have similar tires, but it's not the exact model of it. It was like something so small. So he he um, so he had had um, before if we back up a little bit before he had had an older model of a Ford Corsair. And I can't remember if it was white or red. And then police had, like, talked to some people who had said they had seen, you know, a white or red Corsair in the area. And so they printed that in the newspaper. And so Sutcliffe bought a newer model in a different That's color. Was. But he still had to have his, his freaking Ford Corsair. <laughs> so. with the <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so 
police are finally making connections, you know, after finding those tire marks between the woman and Sutcliffe that Sutcliffe had attacked and, and murdered. So at this point, they know that the guy who was, is killing all these women is also the same guy who had attacked all of Smelt, you know, Tracy Brown, all those other girls before. Um, so now they're put, taking clues from their cases and putting it in with the um, yeah. Yeah, the they're starting they know to was killed by the see a connection yeah. here and such. So, Which, I was reading, Olive Smell actually said that it was embarrassing when they were making those connections, because then, you know, if you remember, she was the one who they were accusing her husband, she was like, no, it wasn't my husband, it wasn't my husband. But then when this came out, because the police had been so sure that everybody was a prostitute that he was attacking, she said that, like, neighbors would look at her weird, or then people would, like, tease her husband and be like so how do you feel about your wife being a prostitute even though she wasn't one gosh um yeah just like this woman and that's the thing is when people were attacked um no one was coming forward and they felt like it was because people didn't want to be associated with someone who could potentially be a prostitute or have something to do in that world so it's very sad it's very sad and i'm actually going to read so the next couple of victims are not are not sex workers and it's interesting because i put i have some quotes from peter sutcliffe where he talks about how oh they did this and that's prostitute behavior and that's why i went berserk on them so it's i think he's just trying yeah to, i think he's um, trying to live up to what the media has built him like he yeah and give us some sort of excuse yeah like he's definitely enjoying this attention that he's getting in the papers and stuff like that and trying to by the same time he doesn't want to get caught so he's also paying attention Mm -hmm. then for details like the car and such so his next victim is josephine whitaker she's a 19 year old um building society clerk and she's one of the first of the final six ripper victims so it's a lot of so many victims crazy at this point peter had been he hadn't killed anyone for a long time, so he'd been dormant for almost a year. It was 322 days. On the night of April 4th, Joseph Whitaker had been visiting her grandparents. She was actually showing them, I think, some new glasses or something like that that she... I think it was new glasses that she had uh, gotten, and she was showing them or whatever. And she had been invited by her grandparents to stay the night, but... She forgot her case to store her contact lenses at home, so she had to, and she had to work the next day. So she decided to go ahead and head on home on her own. And she left about 11:40 p.m., crossing through Seville Park. That night, Peter was out drinking with his mate Trevor Birdsall, and after he dropped Trevor off, he headed in the opposite direction of home to prowl, and he was cruising for his next victim. After passing by several parks where there'd be a lot of people walking dogs and just, you know, commotion going on, he finally came across Seville Park where he saw young Josephine walking by herself near the playing fields. In later interviews, Peter said, quote, I'd been cruising around the town center and seen now, so I drove towards home and saw this girl in the park. I believe she was a prostitute. I mean, what else would she be doing there at that time of night? So I parked the car and ran softly up behind her to catch up. So he parks the car and he puts a hammer and this giant rusty Phillips screwdriver in his pocket, which he had sharpened this screwdriver, by the way, 
into a bradal, which is a straight screwdriver that people typically use to mark out the indents of screws and nails um, if when they get stripped. So he has a sharpened screwdriver. It's kind of cheap, just like... Just buy, buy one of those. those. <laughs> yeah, Katie. Just buy your next murder <laughs> weapon. Jeez. <laughs> He's like picking up free hammers, making shivs out Gosh. of other screwdrivers. It's God guiding oh God. his way, don't you know? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so he runs up to her and he starts to follow her for a little bit. And then um, he starts to talk to her, like chatting it up a bit. Peter said later, because I was walking along chatting to her and she was telling me things which I thought sounded completely innocent. She had been to her grandma's. Oh, it was a watch, not glasses. Sorry. She had just bought a watch. She liked to go horseback riding. But this is a likely tale. She's really just trying to play tricks on me. She's very clever, this one. You're not going to fall for this. And it resulted in the killing eventually quote what peter said like bad wolf. yeah exactly so oh she thinks they're just having a chat i guess as they walk along their way towards seville park they pass by a man walking his dog the man would later report to police that he had seen a woman whose description and clothing were similar to josephine whitaker's walking with a man which he described as being aged 19 to 22 5 foot 8 medium build wearing jeans and a three-quarter length dark colored coat who appeared to have not shaved for three or four days and had mousy-colored, slightly wavy, brushed hair to the left, and it was very greasy hair. (laughs) It's disgusting to think about this image. It's so nasty. I know. Uh, Sutcliffe told uh, young Josephine after they passed by, he's like, you know, you just don't know who you can trust these days. It's a good thing, like, I'm here kind of a thing. Just, Just so disgusting. Um, as they start to walk across the field and they're about 30 to 40 yards from the main road and out of range of the street lamps, he asks her what the time is and he marvels at her good eyes at her good eyesight because there's a giant clock tower away. And basically he's trying to get her to turn her back towards him so she could see the times so he could get his weapon out. So he kind of lags behind pretending, you know, that he can't see the clock. But in reality, he's moving the hammer from his jacket and getting ready to attack. Peter said later, quote, I knew the voices were protecting me. They inspired me to ask her the time, to get her to turn her head away from me. I wanted her to turn the back of her head to me for a moment. I had a watch on myself, but the voices in me said that she wouldn't notice that. As she turns her head, Sutcliffe hits Josephine from behind with his ball-peen hammer and knocked her to the ground. After she hit the ground, she started moaning loudly. Sutcliffe then noticed someone walking along the pavement where they had been walking just a few minutes earlier. So he drags her by the ankles into the darkness, away from the road. As he was crouched over her body, he was then horrified to hear voices close behind him. He turned and saw two figures hurrying across the field and watched as they passed close by him. A man walking the park at the time of the murder said he had heard an unusual noise, quote, the type of noise that makes your hair stand on end. So she was still moaning loudly when Sutcliffe pulled her clothing back. He turned her over, and then he proceeded to stab her 21 times with a screwdriver in the chest and stomach, six times in her right leg, and then he thrust the screwdriver up into her vagina. Her skull had been fractured oh from ear to ear. 
Um, I'll be real with you guys. I didn't read that section before. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> Top of the world so section. Oh my I god. I told you I give some details. I was like, but yeah, yeah. That's. I know. I'm oh, like clenching my legs together him. just thinking. About it. <laughs> I just I hate him so much. All right, so. 150 days later, on September 2nd, 1979, um, which is my aunt's birthday, uh, Barbara Leach, a 20-year-old university student about to start her final year, had been out at a pub, the Manville Arms, with a friend. The pub closed at 11, but her friends and her stayed and helped the staff clean up a bit, so they were rewarded with free drinks. Um, That sounds awesome. That sounds so (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) I know. <laughs> Seriously, I'll take free. So the group left the pub at about 12.45 a.m. Barbara wanted some fresh air, so she decided to walk home instead of staying with her friends. There was some light rain, so none of her friends wanted to walk with Never, her. Never, ever some friends. walk home by yourself. <laughs> I'll think of... As her <sighs> friends, like, it's 12.45 a.m. There's a freak on Seriously. the loose. It's, it's drizzling, so we'll just let I you know. I always think about... Oh my so God. my last time... Uh, my last night of work in Long Beach after I got off of bartending, yeah. everyone bought me like a bunch of drinks and I got so fucked up. So fucked up. I blacked out. I, I know I told you the story. <laughs> and I ended up, yeah. everyone was like, oh, she's fine. They stuck me in the Uber and they sent me on my way. I don't remember this, but I apparently got out of the Uber, thought I was home, wasn't home, disregarded the Uber driver, started walking the wrong way. I walked the streets of Long Beach at 4 or 5 in the morning by myself for hours until somehow, it's a very long story, but I ended up home. And I just think all the time, like, (laughs) I am so freaking lucky that I'm okay. Like, oh my gosh. All these stories I read, it's like, they're like, I'm just going to go for a quick walk. It's only 100 feet, like something like that. And then he snatches them. I, meanwhile, was walking for hours by myself in a not-so-safe part of Long Beach. I'm just like, uh. even Even when we lived together in Long Beach and we would walk down or, like, get an Uber down or whatever to 2nd Street to go to the bars and then walk back at night yeah. at 2 in the morning, even that was sketch, and there was multiple of us <laughs> wandering around yeah. forever. I mean, just you're less likely to be attacked oh if God. you're with someone. Um, yeah. So after that time with Long Beach, I just remember telling people, like, never send anyone alone in the Uber, even if you think yeah, you're okay. Yeah, if the Uber driver could be yeah, a freak there was a, and see, like, some drunk actually, person. Uh, there was an Uber driver that was preying on women. I'll have to post that article at some point. There's several yeah. that have happened. I I was reading an article. Sorry, guys. I was reading <laughs> an article, and there was a, um, a woman who was trying to start her own like uber dry uber thing but it was women only for women yeah um you know like yeah because that, that was happening so much for so, like uber drivers were like taking advantage of really drunk women and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it's just just yeah. never be alone you have a buddy even if you guys just get fucked up together at yeah. least you're together and you have a buddy so if you're gonna take a nice little trot in the rain do it with a buddy if you're gonna walk home from work do it with a buddy if you're gonna uber super plaster do it with a buddy like seriously just come on buddy system system. learned it in kindergarten there's a reason for the buddy (laughs) system all right yes so her awful friends left her and peter was driving through the area he saw barbara and he saw her leave her group of friends so he's like ooh. 
Um, he quickly parked and then he opened his car door and she was walking past him. He let her walk past him first before attacking her with a hammer from behind. He then dragged her to the backyard, into a backyard and after pushing up her shirt and, and bra to expose her breasts and pull down her jeans, he stabbed her with the same screwdriver that he'd used on, on Josephine Whitaker. He then placed her body in a disordered jackknife position up against a low wall in a trash bin alleyway. Her body with an old piece of carpet and placed some stones on top of it. Uh, when she didn't come home, her roommates immediately called the police. She was found the next day around 3.55 p.m. when the police were canvassing the area. It's so sad. It's so, 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 so sad. Always use a buddy yeah, system. Yeah, so I read actually oh, that the nice. they the yeah. roommates called the police, like, pretty quickly. Like, like within the hour or something like that of her getting going missing or something like that. Yeah. So it's just like... Good roommates. They knew <laughs> that she's not okay. And I bet you in that moment, they're like, why didn't we just walk with her or force her to get in the cab with us? Like, why? So, just even if your friend's being a drunk asshole, just stay with them. Buddy system, buddy system. All right. So, after he um, murdered Barbara Leach, he took another break. This time, it was 353 days. So, it's like he almost gets to a year. He almost got his one year yeah. chip. Almost gets his one year Almost chip. Almost gets his one year chip. Can't, it can't hold out. So, but this would be Marguerite Wells. So, on August 20th, 1980, um, Margaret Wells was 47 years old and she worked at the Department of Education and Science um, in Pudsey, which is still generally Yorkshire area. And she was working late this night to put in a few extra hours before she was about to go on, like, a 10-day vacation or holiday, if you want to say that. Uh, she left the office between 9.30 and 10.30 p.m. It was only a half mile to her home in Farsley. So, again, she's, like, probably done this walk a hundred times, didn't think anything of it at 9.30 at night, 10.30 at night. It's half mile she walked there, but she's by herself, and just so happened, unfortunately, that Peter is passing through as he's on his way to Chapeltown and sees her walking by herself, and he quickly parks, runs up to catch her, grabs, you know, his hammer and everything like that. He stood by some high stone pillars that were on the end of a driveway, kind of, I imagine him just with his back up against it, waiting for her to pass by. And as soon as she passed by, he hits her on the head with the hammer. And this time he shouts, filthy prostitute. And then he hits her again. And then this time he changes his MO a little bit. He has a rope with him and he loops it around her neck and tightens it as he drags her into the garden that's alongside this driveway. He then kneels on her chest and strangles her with his hands. After she was dead, he took off all her clothes except for her pantyhose, and he partially put some leaves around her body. And if you forgot, masturbates over her. Uh, She was found by the gardeners the next day. Because he had used a rope this time, though, the police did not think it was the Ripper, which is exactly what Peter wanted to happen, because he had been following the news in the papers, and the, the thing the police kept making a mistake with was... They um, they were only taking victims that had been stabbed and like ripped open with like a, you know with stabbings. They were only considering those to be ripper yeah. victims. So if someone got hit in a hammer and just hit in the hammer, they're like, no, you're not a ripper victim. And like this person, she got dragged with the rope and strangled. So they're like, 
no, we don't think this is part of the Ripper, so. I think, one, because they just had the entire time that just very narrow vision, and then, two, at this time, you know, in history, serial killers weren't as well known, so I don't think they knew that they would evolve or, like, change so that they wouldn't get caught. I don't know. Yeah, because So his next victim... Now, sorry to interrupt, but, like, now with all this research... That we've done over the years, we we know that they'll sometimes change their MO or they develop more mm-hmm. or they figure out what they like and that they're following themselves yeah. in the news and all this stuff. But at the time, or, yeah, they did not think that. What they're doing wasn't enough yeah. for them anymore, so they need to do another way. Um, so his next victim actually survived, 34-year-old Dr. Upadhyay Bandera. She was visiting Leeds from Singapore to attend a class. And while she was walking in an alleyway, she saw a man inside a KFC staring at her. Um, she kept walking, as you do when somebody inside a KFC is staring at you. Um, and this greasy, chicken-fingered <laughs> motherfucker came out, hit her over the head with a hammer, and put a rope around her neck, and then proceeded to drag her. Ugh. However, while she was being dragged, she realized her shoes were making a dragging noise. So she tried to fling her handbag to hit a wall to, you know, make more noise. Yeah. A neighbor heard the noise and went outside to check on it, and Peter ran away. So good so for she her, was able, oh my gosh. I know. That's why she's a doctor. Like That girl oh, got yeah. a degree. So, yeah. So she was able to describe her attacker to the police, but because there was no stab wounds, you know, like the, the lady before, they're, they're like, oh, it wasn't the Ripper again, and they thought perhaps that there was a new killer out there who was using a rope. Uh, so 42, 42 days later, Peter attacked another woman who survived. That was 16-year-old Teresa Sykes. She was walking home from a grocery store when Peter hit her on the head. She tried to reach for the weapon, and some shouted from the distance, and uh, someone shouted from the distance, and Peter ran away and hid in a garden. And she was like, uh, psych! Po- <laughs> <laughs> you thought? <laughs> um, so the police did not think that it was the Ripper again, but then later they changed their minds and you know figured it was. Peter said, and I quote, I attacked her because she was the first person I saw that night. At first, it didn't take any time to decide which women were prostitutes. I think something clicked because she had on a straight skirt with a slit in it, and she crossed the road in front of me. So, uh, basically, you just can't so, wear skirts. Yeah, I can't wear skirts. <laughs> walk past 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> like, uh, this guy nothing. is, like, so nothing. fucking sexist that it's just, like, yeah. despite being, I mean, every serial killer is <laughs> sexist, I feel like, but yeah, uh, it's just... It's so mind-blowing to me, though, yeah, to just label women like that. And then, like, you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, so many people didn't want to report anything because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to be associated with someone who could potentially be a prostitute or something like that. And it's just like... but no matter what you did, apparently Yeah, no matter what you did. Oh, she um, (laughs) is out late at night at a park. She must be a prostitute. Oh, she's wearing a skirt. She must be a prostitute. Oh. Oh, she has more than one boyfriend? Yeah. Or has dated or more than one guy? Ha- she okay, likes to she's get a, a little drunk sometimes. Like, she wants to be a prostitute. Yeah. So, it was just... Ugh. I mean, it's still like that, I feel like. I'd like to say we progressed a whole lot, yeah. but... We just <laughs> nope. reworded no. it. Women are always yeah. damned if you do, damned yep. if you don't. So, so yeah. on November 17th, 1980... Um, let's see, this is... Not that long after the last attack there um 
Peter was sitting in a, his car parked outside the Arndell Shopping Center eating, guess what? A bucket of KFC and fries. I don't know what the deal is oh with this God. greasy chicken fingered guy, but. That's why his hair is so greasy. Like runs oh his, my gosh. Through his hair afterwards. Like eating chicken <laughs> and then like twisting yeah. his mustache <sighs> and like yeah. combing his hair <laughs> with his greasy fingers. So using it as like hair oil. Ew. This stupid car. It's just like gravy stuck in it. I'm hot. I just imagine him doing like the eyebrow flick. <laughs> With his big ass bush eyebrows. Oh my gosh. Actually, they're not that bushy. I mean, they're pretty like trim, I would say. They're more manicured than a lot Definitely. of men. That's <laughs> for sure. Mine right now, too, since places have been closed for COVID. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was actually this weekend looking at myself in the mirror, and I realized that one eyebrow was like an inch longer than the other, and I was like, how long have I been walking around like this? Oh, my God. <laughs> my eyebrows are a mess. My nails are wrecked. I just... Dude, I just went and bought those like gel stickers you put on your nails from Target to make myself feel pretty. <laughs> but it's that all gone so with the eyebrows, especially because that's like the one part of your face that people see right now with the mask are your eyebrows. Yeah. So I cut my bangs. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm a glasses wearer, so my glasses usually cover them up. Yeah. Um, and I have multiple pairs of glasses, and if they're looking particularly bad, I'm all, let me just put people a are slowly glasses. seeing less and less of my face. It's like now I have bangs, I have a mask. We're good. I see glasses, but every time I wear glasses, yeah. I don't know how. If you are like Katie and you have to wear glasses and you have to wear the mask at work, like I am so sorry because anytime I put sunglasses it on, fucking yeah, sucks. It fogging oh sucks. My God. Like, it's just yeah. fucking fogging up. Good one. Oh, but no, really, it is. <laughs> but it's so I liked annoying. It a lot. Um, it's so annoying. Yeah, no, I. I tailor when we go to the grocery store. Like I just take my glasses off and I'm like, "Be my <laughs> guide dog." Point me in the direction. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I like have to like grab his arm like an old woman. I let my stomach do <laughs> the shopping here. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm just like I can't see. I'm like blind either oh, way, yeah. so I might as I well. I just look just like Clint Eastwood all the time because I'm sensitive to the sun, so I'm just like squinting, <laughs> look at everything. <laughs> What's what that? Is that? Okay, so anyways, he's eating his KFC. Oh, yeah, that's over. And he sees Jacqueline Hill, a 20-year-old college student, get off the bus, and I imagine him just licking his fingers, putting Ew. the grease. Like throws a drumstick over his shoulder. It's so sad, oh my God. but I totally see that happening. And he starts the car, oh and he starts to follow her. Uh, she the bus stop was only this is so sad it was only a hundred yards from her house so she was thinking she's got out of school she takes the bus home she's a college student she's not in high school or anything like that but um walks home and he sees that she crosses the street so he parks his car and waits for her to walk past after she did he gets out of the car you know grabs his hammer and he begins to follow her for a short distance the hammer slips once because his fingers are greasy (laughs) probably got like old grime on it from like days and days of like chicken fried grease on it so he's probably got actually got a good grip on there i imagine kfc though texture kentucky fried chicken i didn't even i was thinking about i'm like they had kfc over there at that time but i guess so it's always weird to me when things like i don't know 
I, I forget how long things have been around for. <laughs> <laughs> While Americans were visiting, so yeah, it's true. <laughs> they true. So he follows her for a short distance, and then he hits her on the head with the hammer as she's passing an opening. Seconds later, another woman named Andre Proctor begins walking down the same road, and Sutcliffe quickly hoists his victim up to make it look like she's standing and skirts her off before dragging her approximately 30 yards into some spare land behind the shopping center. There he pulls her clothes off and he stabs her with his screwdriver repeatedly in the chest and this time once in the eye. Peters later quoted saying, she turned around and looked as if she was adjusting her skirt or her stocking and this suggested that it was behavior of a prostitute. God invested me with the means of killing. He has got me out of trouble and I am in God's hands. He misled the police and perhaps God was involved in the tapes so the police would be misled. So this fucking creep's mind just sees her God. this time adjusting her her legging or her skirt. He's like, that's a prostitute. She she adjusted her stocking there. She must be a prostitute. Oh and God, God has protected me from the police. He thinks now I, I don't really buy that he's on God's mission, to be honest. I think this is something he just started to like make up after the police arrested him. Um I think so too. Like I, think so too. I definitely think he had some weird voices going on there because we'll talk later about that with the schizophrenia, but I, I don't really buy the whole him really thinking he's holier than thou. He was a shit guy doing shit stuff like yeah i don't see even in the crazy wildest dreams that god's telling you to kill people um those guys <laughs> i don't see god being like kill them and then masturbate yeah. them and, and, like and also god, like, those what? guys that really do think they're doing god's mission they're like <clears throat> fucking even more psycho and they have like shrines yeah. and like this whole weird air about them like this guy is going out getting drunk with his mates cruise around in cars, mm-hmm. picking up hookers, and then he gets mad because he can't perform, and then he's showing off his infested junk and all this shit. Like, I don't think God yeah. was even in his mind at all during any of this time, so... No. Until he was yeah. caught and wanted an excuse. Yeah. All right. So, January 2nd, 1981, Sergeant Robert Ring and another cop are doing routine rounds in Broomhill, Sheffield, when they notice a man and a woman in a car. They go over and investigate, guessing that they're about to break up a prostitute in their john. Now, Peter Sutcliffe is in the car with a 24-year-old sex worker, Olivia Reavers. Was probably the next victim, um, she, I bet. Yeah, very lucky girl. And she tells the police that Sutcliffe is her boyfriend to escape getting into trouble. Sutcliffe says his name is Peter Williams creativity abounds and that he has to go to the bathroom so the cops let him go in the alleyway and pee they check his plates while he's in there doing his business and realize they're fakes and then when they confront him about it he also fesses up and says his name's actually peter sutcliffe so they arrest him and while he's in jail ring notices that he kind of looks like the description of the yorkshire ripper so he goes back to the alleyway where sutcliffe had said he was going to go to the bathroom to do a little bit you know investigating and he discovers a ball peen hammer and a knife. And his, was it a ball pee so hammer? So instead of peeing, <laughs> it's a ball pee hammer. Yeah. So instead of peeing, he just started to unload his weapons so that he wouldn't get caught with them while unloading and then, his weapons. Um, they test. Yes. Sorry, I'm yes. shutting up now. Uh, they. Um, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I went on like a KFC rant for like an hour. So. <laughs> Man, that popcorn chicken. Though. <laughs> oh God. 
<laughs> Give me some wedge fries. When I was a kid, I used to call them wedgie fries. <laughs> wedgie fries? That's actually cute. Like, I want wedgies. And my dad's like, I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> I don't think you do want those, actually. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, they test his blood, and it shows that he is in the B group and a non-secretor. Say it again. Um, Sutcliffe doesn't take long to confess. Um, After two days of intensive interrogation, he admits that he's the Yorkshire Ripper Um, on January 4th, 1981. So he starts to recount recount his crimes to police during a 15-hour statement. He also claims that back when he was a gravedigger, he heard God tell him to kill prostitutes. Um, sure. <laughs> and then he asked to call Sonia, and he calmly tells her that he was the Yorkshire Ripper. And in Sonia fashion, she was just like, "Why'd you do that? <laughs> Why'd you do that? Uh, oh, yeah. So you're not gonna be home for dinner then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I made trotters. <laughs> I made trotters. Yeah. <laughs> With that knife. So here's a little fun fact Aww. about when the police arrested him and they did a strip search of him. They stumbled upon his murder outfit this is like so disgusting but also kind of like one of the most interesting facts about serial killers i would say um they found that he was wearing what amounts to gosh it's so gross he had this v-neck long sleeve like ladies shirt but he had he was wearing them like pants so he had them inside he had the sleeves and he put his legs in the sleeves and then the v-neck part he had a case around his genitals so that his, you know, every time he took his pants off, his genitals were just hanging there, free balling, exposed and ready for action. Crusty. Crusty and pussy, probably, with his nasty... Greasy. Gosh, just adding so much to that. You're going to ruin KFC for me. Stop it. Um, and then he had put pads on the elbows, so like where the knees were, he put padding there so that he wouldn't be, so that his knees would be comfortable when he would kneel over his victims' bodies and masturbate on them, which is like so disgusting. So, gross. so yeah, this this um, God gave him the the pattern yeah. for that. <laughs> the blueprints. No, yeah. What do you what do you call it when you still close? Not called blueprints. <laughs> I don't know. Pattern. pattern. Yeah. Nice print. The, pa- the pattern. Print. He's on his sewing machine. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. It's like the cringe. <laughs> yeah. What a lovely family animal. Oh my gosh. Uh, so this little bit of information actually wasn't released to the public until 2003 when author Michael Bilton wrote about it in the book Wicked Beyond Belief. If you want to learn... I always want to say Michael Michael. Bolton. I always want to say Michael Bolton too. I'm just like, was it his 2003 album or um (laughs) yeah but wicked beyond belief if you want to do some more reading about peter sutcliffe be my guest um that's a book you could check out we got some information from this case from that book uh the trial was relatively quick it only lasted two weeks which i think is very quick actually yeah yeah. nothing in those two weeks thousands of people came to catch a glimpse of the monster um, I'm going to back it up, though, before the trial, actually. So his uh, defending lawyer and him tried to actually plead not guilty to the... Th- so he was charged and um, with murder, 13 counts of murder. And he tried to plead not guilty to that, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of 
quote-unquote, diminished responsibility, which in English law, diminished responsibility is one of the partial defenses that reduce the offense from murder to manslaughter if successful. This allows the judge who's sentencing to impose a hospital order to ensure treatment rather than punishment. So it's pretty similar to our insanity plea in America, um, you know, when someone can go to like a mental hospital instead of spending their time in jail. And Peter's defense was that he was that God was telling him to kill prostitutes. The prosecution that was charging this case was actually pretty ready to accept his defense of insanity or diminished responsibility. But the justice judge, Sir Leslie Borham, was like, I need to hear I need to hear the reasoning behind this. So he asked for an extraordinary amount of explanation behind this plea in defense with like way more proof than they normally would have had to have present. This included a three hour presentation with like an hour lunch break in between from the defense lawyer, Sir Michael Havers. It also included evidence from four different psychiatrists trying to prove that Peter Sutcliffe had schizophrenia, but the judge in the end denied the plea and the evidence. And he said, I want Peter Sutcliffe to be tried in front of a jury. So, yeah, he's like, no, I don't buy that shit. Um, Nope. So he puts him in front of a jury. And then that case was two weeks long. And like I said, thousands of people were lining up to this. They were trying to wait their turn to be a spectator in the court. Um, Let them fry. Yeah, let them fry. (laughs) People love that shit. This was held at the High Court of Justice in Strand of Westminster, London, which is like, that's like the Supreme Court, basically, of the UK. Um, I did read, I don't know how true this is, that the judge decided to put this before a jury because he had heard, this is again as a rumor, that he had heard a rumor from a prison officer who said that Sonia, um, or who, I'm sorry, said that Peter was telling Sonia, his wife, that if he convinced people he was crazy, he might get 10 years in the loony bin. So there was this rumor that Peter Sutcliffe was saying this and somehow that rumor got back to the judge. And so that could have influenced the judge on deciding this or not. Don't know how factual that is, but it's one of the rumors looming out there. His trial began on May 5th, 1981 and lasted two weeks. Peter Sutcliffe was found guilty of murder for 13 counts and was sentenced to 20 concurrent sentences of life imprisonment with possible parole parole in 2011 but in 2010 the high court issued a whole life tariff meaning that he could never leave prison so in 1984 Sutcliffe was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia so although he had been um he had been able to stay on trial without in the insanity plea or diminished responsibility he was taken to Broadmoor Hospital for his incarceration so when you divorced him um which I would do the same. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, he was um, he was consistently attacked by inmates at the hospital. Uh, one inmate attacked him with a pen in 1997, which blinded him in the left eye. And then 10 years later, he was attacked again, and the inmate went for his other eye. Um, he has survived both attacks, obviously. So in 2016, he was transferred from um, Broadmoor to a regular prison, which was Her Majesty's Franklin Prison in County Durham. Um and I guess they figured that he had spent enough time in the um, the hospital and he was ready to go to an actual prison now. 
So, um, but just this past November, you know, 2020, he passed away at the age of 74 from COVID. COVID. So, yep. If there's one victim we're, you, COVID. we're happy about being <laughs> yeah. taken by that, this would be him. Although, yeah, I don't mind. It, uh. I, I, from my understanding, it was more like he was sick in the hospital and he's like, I don't really. Oh, he had so Yeah, and problems. he's just like, I don't really want treatment. <laughs> just let me die kind of a thing. Yeah, he was blind at this point in both eyes. He had diabetes. He had had a heart attack. He, he had COVID, and, and so he was just like, end it. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so during his incarceration, Sutcliffe was known to have several girlfriends and women who would build Why? shrines to him. Yeah. So his last girlfriend before his death was a 28-year-old named Crystal Smith, who he wanted to have an IVF baby with, actually. Um yeah, but he ended up breaking up with her in 2019. Um, he's like, you need to find somebody younger or, you know, live your life. Um, so but- I can't see you, but I can feel you, and I ain't feeling this no more. <laughs> right. Can you imagine being dumped by this guy? No, I think I would kill he's myself. Blind. <laughs> <laughs> he's blind. He's in prison. Like, you're 28 years old. He's in his 70s. Like, he, you know, murdered oh and God. raped and... Why, oh, oh why do you... That's why I put her name on blast. I'm like, all right, Crystal Smith. Um, so he, um, through his time in prison, he also tried to get in contact with Sonia and over the years tried to video call her, call her, write her letters, whatever, but she wouldn't speak to him. Um, and then right before he died, he was trying to get in contact with some girl who was writing him over the summer saying how in love she was with him. But the prison actually banned him from sending any more love Way letters. Way to they were go. Way to go. I wish they'd do <laughs> yeah, that they shit here. They should have done that from the beginning. Jeez. I wish they'd do that with everybody, like, who's these, like, you know, Scott Peterson, Chris Watts and all of that. Just, you don't get to talk no. to people anymore. And I don't, these women uh, need help. <laughs> yeah, I was actually watching <laughs> an interesting little document i don't know if it, uh, not documentary it was like a 10 minute video but it was a psychiatrist who was talking about these women and she said that they're usually women who come from a background of abuse because this puts them in control and they don't have to worry about ever like they get to be in a relationship but they don't ever have to worry about the man mistreating them because because he's behind bars yeah i've heard that too yeah. and then when yeah uh they suddenly go up for parole or something like that sometimes they break up with them <laughs> uh, i gotta, I gotta go. get out of here <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Bye. So, um, yeah, so that's Peter Sutcliffe. Um, we'll go over our sources real quick. Uh, Peter Sutcliffe's confession statement, YorkshireRipper.com, the police reports, the Yorkshire Post, Somebody's Mother, Somebody's Daughter by Carol Ann Lee, Somebody's Husband, Somebody's Son by Gordon Byrne, The Guardian, and then the one that Tabitha was just talking about, which was Wicked Beyond Belief by Michael Bolton. Bilton. Bilton. <laughs> Michael Bolton. Yeah, if you want to read really yeah. in-depth... Um, about Peter Sutcliffe and more about like his upbringing and his family, which we talked about more in the first episode. And I literally had to just close the book because I was like, oh, and this detail and this detail can't fit all on a podcast. I ain't got time for that. So yeah. if you want to read more about that, definitely somebody's husband, somebody's son is it's really good. It's really readable. Um, I suggest you check it out. Yeah. You... Somebody's mother, somebody's daughter is like specifically the about victims. Victim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that yep. is fucking cocksucker Peter Sutcliffe. Chicken bone liquor. Honestly, so I have a confession to make. Like, we decided to do this one because we felt like it was somewhat current news with him passing just two months or three months yeah. ago, and then with Netflix releasing The Ripper. But 
I just don't enjoy reading about him at all. He's just... He's gross to me. I, I mean, I all serial killers him. are gross, but there's something about him yeah. that I'm like, it's not interesting to me. I don't like it. I don't like him. I don't like his fucking square-hedged hair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like his nasty, rapey long johns he's got on. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. And then he's freaking yeah. eating KFC and ruin that shit. Get out of here. <laughs> I, that's where I draw the line. I feel like... <laughs> We've learned a lot about what these serial killers eat and should just start doing, like, food pairings. <laughs> Crimes, cocktails, and caviar. No, I don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. no. Crimes, cocktail, and KFC. Who was the guy who owned... Was it Gacy who owned a KFC? You know what? I think he did. Or was that somebody else? Because he would... Um, I, I can't remember if it was an actually KFC, but he did own a fast food place because he would poach some of the boys from there. I think it was him who owned a KFC. Like, his father-in-law had founded, or the family had founded yeah. KFC, and then he owned I think one. I right. can't remember. Um, I do remember what? that. So, gosh, I saw, um, I went to the Zach Bagans Haunted Museum again, mm-hmm. which we went the, I went the first time for your birthday. Um, they yeah. changed it a lot, and cause, especially because there's, like, COVID stuff and everything. Like that mm-hmm. Everything's, like, really spread out or whatever. But yeah. um, it's so weird. Did the little person jump up at you? <laughs> so, he growled at me when we were there, and I was scared. So <laughs> they had that room with the dolls. If you guys have been to the museum, like give us a shout out because I would love to hear your take on it and if you thought it was cool or a waste of your money. Um, but they had that room with all the dolls, and they're like, "Go ahead and go in there." And mm-hmm. I was like. I'm good, because I, I was like, that thing is probably <laughs> hiding in there, he's going to jump out at me, and I am not going for that again, and he wasn't there, and so they kept trying Aww. to get me to do it, and I was like, so finally I was like, last time I went in there, you guys had someone jump out at me, and I'm not about it, and they're like, oh, <laughs> and they like kind of laughed, like, yeah, he's not in there this time, but I still didn't trust him, because I'm like, y'all waiting for the mm-hmm. one girl in the tour to go in that room, I know it, I know I'm the target, I'm not doing it. But the little oh, the little person was not there, so they did have the guy though that has the hooks in his eyelids swinging the oh, bucks of water, yeah. and I was just like, "Fuck this shit!" But <laughs> yeah, there was a they yeah. had us go down to the basement this time, which I don't think we did when we went for your birthday. I think they just talked no, about I don't the think basement. We did do that. Um, yeah, apparently Jenna Jameson said that she lived there in the 70s and her parents were involved in like some satan cult shit and did like sacrifices and murders and stuff in that room i scoured the internet trying to find <laughs> the validity of this and yeah it makes me feel like is anything the zach vegan says real <laughs> <laughs> i was telling brandon about the um the one ghost adventure that you showed me where they're in salinas <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. So if you guys watch Ghost oh Adventures, you know, they go to like haunted places and they're looking for where tight Ed Hardy. Yeah. Shows. Oh my god. Just so <laughs> interesting. I'm Zach Bay. Yeah, I know. He talks so monotone, especially in the museum. He's like, This mm-hmm. is the most haunted Starbucks cup in the world. <laughs> Only spirits <laughs> I have never been believed known in ghosts to drink from its 
pumpkin spice latte. I have never tasted a more haunted pumpkin spice latte. That's literally like something he would say, I swear. <laughs> but yeah, they go, like the country roads of Selena. It's, it's a farm town in the middle of nowhere, and they're driving down one of the murder roads, and their heat lamp picks up this giant, like, orb of heat and they're like freaking out about it and then when they get oh what's yeah, that oh my god what is it it's something massive it's like a beast or something like that and it's a fucking cow walking in the street and i'm dying because i'm like of course it's genius and then they're like why is a cow in the road though what the hell and they're freaking out i'm like bro you in farm town selena said that you either got gangster <laughs> you're cholos, on old stage or you road. got cows walking in the street like <laughs> selena's <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that episode that was episode great. So I need to show Brandon that episode for sure. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Yeah, I know, but oh, that man. is Peter Sutcliffe. We're gonna do some. Our next couple episodes are gonna be more just single based cases. I would say not single based cases, but we're not gonna do like some two part or three parters for a little bit. We're gonna take a break, do things a little bit more yeah. easier. Um, so. You'll see that in two yep. weeks. <laughs> yep. And then if um, in between you uh, you get the hankering for some murder, you can uh, uh, look at our, our Patreon and get one of our single shots on yeah. there. Yep. So yep. thank you, patrons, for supporting us, as always. I hope you guys mm-hmm. like the new stickers. Um, and we hope you guys stay safe during the stormy weather. I know there's just some crazy stuff going on, crazy snow, crazy mudslides. I know, now here's the snow. I know. Where was the snow when we went to Tahoe? What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, thankfully it wasn't this weekend, because then we probably would have had to cancel. <laughs> yeah. So. We'd have been stuck I in know. the snow. <laughs> yeah, again. <laughs> so. All right, guys. Well, um, have yeah. a good week. Talk to you guys soon. Talk to you soon. <laughs>